This production is supported by Arts Council England. For more information, visit artscouncil.org.uk. Furtherfield.org for art, technology and social change. Hello world, this is Mark Garrett from Furtherfield.org. I would like to welcome Rob Myers. Hi. Hello Rob, and uh, you're an artist, writer, hacker, and much valued reviewer uh, and generous debater uh, in the Furberfield neighbourhood, uh, mainly in the net behaviour list, where loads of media artists, hackers, and other writers argue about codes and politics and stuff like that. Uh, but also, you are involved in the making of free culture, uh, well, free culture art about contemporary society using free software. Uh, and is Chief Technology Officer of Filter Factory. Now, Filter Factory, uh, well, Filter is with a P, P-H-I-L-T-E-R, and then you've got Factory, P-H, uh, which is a bit like freaking, because P-H-R-E... Yeah, it's, it's all the PHs, yes. PHs, yeah, Absolutely. so a PH solution. <laughs> uh, so, and, we, and with the Filter Factory, uh, mm. you work with... Uh, narratising social and locative media? That's right, yes. So we've got a system called Weavers, which is a way of making uh, narrative or character-based storybots. Okay. So you, you define a character, you say sort of what this imaginary character does at particular times of the day, uh, where they go to, the sort of things they're interested in, and then over the course of the day, yeah, it will go out onto the web, find the media that matches up to this, uh, blog about it, tweet about it, if you've got it linked in. And over time... Uh, you know, personality emerges, a character that you can get to know and share stuff with on the web it comes right. into being. That sounds so. So, uh, so what? So the, the content and kind of uh, data, yes, uh, creates the other character. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's media that exists already, but just isn't gathered together in that form. Right. So, uh, sort of rather than. Um, you know, having to create everything from scratch. Um, there's there's already an awful lot of stuff out there on the web. There's just not enough people for it to represent. So we create some more of those people using our system. That's interesting. So uh, uh, as a group, uh, how long has Filter Factory itself uh, kind of been going? Well, we, we started in the middle of last year. Right. And, uh, I mean, Weavers is our first project, and it's, it's running already. It's um, a closed alpha, and we've got some people using it and getting good results with it okay so uh i mean my, my personal favorite given my art background of the art bots um we've got sort of people simulating sort of characters from fiction and film uh, we've got a couple of conceptual artworks wandering around the galleries in new york and ah. uh, yeah i mean there's uh, you know as as far as you can tell from their online footprint they're as real as you or me they sort of check into places using locative media they post things that they found um, they have their emotional ups and downs okay well uh we're, we're going to go back to something very similar to that which is another are, piece yes. of your work yeah. so i better not talk too much about sure, it just sure. yet uh you also run a blog uh that 
kind of uh, observes and looks at uh, legalities, philosophies, and some trivialities of free culture and uh, free software and free society. Yeah? Yes. Uh, and this is Rob Myers.org, Forged Rope, Web Block. Web Log, block, yes. Block. Yes. Uh, more of a mind block from, from my behalf. And, uh, well, could you explain or give us uh, some examples of the kind of material that you would choose to highlight and discuss on your blog? Sure. I mean, anything, it's perfect example of how not to do a blog it's anything i find that interests me and that sort of hopefully will interest other people but i mean there so, are specific recent, interests there, there are specific interests yes i mean I've, I've been covering um different sources of data regarding art recently and uh posting some stuff about a couple of legal cases that are going through in the eu and the us that affect um artists ability to make and in some cases um sort of physically protect art and um, sort of if there's an interesting free culture-related software project that can help people to um, share media or, or author stuff in new ways, I'll, I'll cover that. So, well, let's talk about some of your own work here, uh, as in your, some of your art context and what you're involved in. Uh, you've got a project called The Cybernetic Art World. Yes. Uh, now... What is it, and how does someone encounter it, and what happens? It's a model of precisely how the art world doesn't work. Um, it's this perfect, frictionless, closed social system where artists simply make whatever work comes into their mind. Oh, my God, what, you Criti just like artists? <laughs> <laughs> Critics, in a disinterested way, simply say, yes, you know, this appeals to me because of what I think art should be. And only the very best work is purchased by collectors who, who simply watch everything the critics say. And then sort of the critic says, yes, this is a masterpiece. Then the collector snaps it up. Now, it's um, a series of computer programs written in the Lisp programming language, which is a fun language that more people should use. L-I-S-P. L-I-S-P, yes, yes. Um, it's an, a very, very early programming language associated with artificial intelligence, but it's also quite fun to program in. And the bots that make up this system do their own thing and they post the results of what they come up with to a free software equivalent to the Twitter microblogging service called Identica. So yeah, as an alternative to it's, Twitter. It's an alternative, yes. Yeah, you, you can get the source code, you can run it yourself, you can get the data out of it very easily, so it, it respects your freedom in ways that the Twitter system doesn't. So, so Identica, say, for instance, yes. as opposed to Twitter, yes. uh, other than, say, it's much more connected to free culture, Yes. Uh, are they still entrepreneurial kinds of business people running it as much um, as Twitter? Well, it's... I mean, they, they've they've got funding, they're a company, but the way that the software is written and licensed means it's very hard for one individual group to take control of it and lock anyone else out of it. So your, your freedom to use it is, is guaranteed to be inalienable, which is one of the key strategies from free software that free culture has been trying to adopt as well. OK, so... But also on Twitter, there's fake social bots. There are. I mean, bo both with uh, Weavers and with the, the bots that I write sort of as, as personal art projects, the ethics are quite key. I um, mean, someone was um, pinging one of the art world bots saying, are you a bot? Are you a bot? And it just responded as it does. Hi. 
two or three times, and then they said, oh, yes, you're a bot. But I mean, on, on its um, car- on its homepage, on, on its account page, the first thing it says is, I am a bot. And it's it's very important to be honest about, you know, whether, whether something that's on this very limited bandwidth social medium is human or, or, or you know, is, is a non-obvious uh, spoof or marketing So bot. compared to, say, what you're doing with, say, cybernetic art world... Uh, say a lot of these bots on Twitter uh, are actually uh, big marketing bots, really, that are kind of uh, discovering data and new communities of how they can use it as a resource. Well, I mean, it's it's public data, mm. um, so... But is it is it honest to kind of bring in people and pretend that you're a friend of theirs and then use their data? I, I don't think it's honest to friend people just use their data. No, because no. that's kind I of mean, that's the difference, isn't it? Yes, yeah. I mean, some some of the bots that we've we've written are used to sort of do market research, but again, they identify themselves as such. You know that that that's how they identify themselves. So there's not any deceit involved. Okay, is the key thing. I wanted to just say why what the actual characters are on your cybernetic art world, if you can kind of... Yeah, the characters are, there's the artist, there's the... The artist? The artist, yeah, well, there's only one. It's a very small so art world. So they're archetypes? There are, yes, I mean, that they are archetypes of figures in, in a very small, very closed, very idealised... A hermetically artwork. sealed I- ideal it's, it's world. A, it's a closed social world, very, very closed off. So there's the artist... Well, it sounds like traditional art world to me. <laughs> yes, but they, they don't sort of schmooze at parties, they don't have any sort of interests or, or, or rivalries or... That's what I mean, it sounds other, like so. traditional art world. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly I've created too perfect a model then. Oh yes, you've, you've actually created a template in the virtual world yes. of. So the, yeah, there, there's there's the artist, there's the critic, and there's the collector. Right. Okay. And um, yeah, they're, they're not quite a loop. The, the the critic does genuinely read what the artist posts. Um, they they don't communicate behind the scenes and cheat at all. What you, what you see with them commenting on each other is how they actually interact. It'll be nice to actually to talk with you about free and open source culture and the different ways they support collaboration and freedom uh, from censorship. And so, I suppose, why do you think it is so fascinating to artists? And why do you think it is important uh, for artists or art workers? When, when, when you study art, I mean, either, either art history or, or just artists you like, you sort of very quickly spot that the history of art consists of shared motifs, shared techniques, um, you know, ideas to pursue across generations. And the concern is sort of as copyright and things like trademark law close off more and more and more of our visual culture, it becomes harder and harder for artists to refer to visual culture in general and to depict it, which kind of re- reduces the power of art to refer to society in general to sort of draw that into art. Because everything's been, yeah, branded and corporatised. And so the only thing you can refer to is your own neurosis. Yeah, I mean, it gets to the point where corporations can trademark individual colours, which gets a bit crazy. Yes. So, you know, if you you wanted to do an all-purple canvas, you'd better make sure it's not about chocolate. Yes. And so, yes, I mean, there's, there's two sides to it. The first is that, you know, Art does have this culture, the, the very much this history of shared culture, 
which um, is something that you can embrace, and also that art is sort of threatened by the encroachment of laws that are designed to protect mass culture, but have these unintended consequences for the ability of art to refer to culture in general. Okay, so well, the, okay, the next question from this is. Uh, It'll be nice to clear up the confusion about the difference between free and open source culture. So this is a sort of carryover from uh, free and open source software, where the, the original name for the movement was free software. Yeah. And the idea, it, it's not it's uh, free as in speech, not free as in here's a free gift. Yeah. So it, it's software where you don't have someone preventing you using it, using either a, an end user license contract of the sort that you ignore when you install Windows or things like digital rights management that sort of stop you installing software on hardware that you own, but that the company that claims to have sold it to you has retained some control over. So free software is very much an ethical position, it's very much a political statement. And then in the 90s, um, some of the people who really wanted to support free software, but thought that the whole freedom idea was putting corporations off using it, decided that they were going to try and rebrand it as open source. Now... I mean, open, uh, trying to explain to people what the free in free software means can be confusing, but trying to explain to what the open in open source means is something you can never really finish doing, because it's a nice word, but it can refer to so many different things. So, I mean, the, the practical difference is that the free return refers to the ethical position, and the open refers to some of the practical advantages or claimed practical advantages of being able to share and produce software or culture in that way once you do have the freedom to work with those resources. Right, so, uh, well, let's move on to another subject right. uh, that you have recently been chatting about on uh, on Further Fields Net Behaviour. Uh, that is uh, Art Open Data. And... Uh, we recently been talking about collaborating on a, on a, an event regarding this, yes, yeah. and but it's your idea, and and it's your and we both like the idea of people getting their hands dirty, and and actually enjoy messing about with some of this data, uh, specifically yes, art data. Yeah. Do you want to kind of discuss a little bit sure. about that? I mean, alongside sort of free software and free culture, there's been the open data movement, which is dedicated to getting. All of the information, all the factual data, um, all, of, all of the sort of database records have been locked away in government departments, in educational institutions, in cultural institutions, and just giving the public access to it. So there's projects like um, DataGov UK, um, I think the Tate are hopefully opening up some of their record data. And once you get hold of this data from all these different sources, you can bring it together and start looking at the, the history and the structure of, um, of of these elements of society in new ways. So the stuff that we're trying to get with um, art open data are things like historical auction records for art, which are out there, but are either sort of locked away in sort of books from the turn of the last century that haven't been scanned in yet, or or are walled away sort of behind paywalls. And once you sort of start getting this stuff, once you start relating it to the written record of art, which is much easier to access, or the visual record of art, which you can usually but not always get access to through scans of photographs, although that is something that people have been trying to crack down on for even for work that isn't in copyright. You can try and bring it all together, you can get a different view on it, and hopefully you can discover novel and critically interesting new facts about the history of art which are hidden there in the data. 
Okay, and also uh, there's kind of data hacking visualization as well. Yes, yeah, I mean, it, oh, sorry. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you can create a loop between um, getting the data, visualizing the data as art, and then the visualizations are of art data as art, which is. Okay, cool. so I want to kind of, I want to say more about this, but if we've got time, we might get back to sure, this. Sure. But I really want to talk about, uh, uh, well, uh, the do-it-yourself ready mains. Uh, so we're going to be working for you on another project, uh, yes. which we're commissioning, uh, called Balloon Dog, uh, which we hope will be available online very soon. I think it might be from today. Uh, and this forms part of a series of shareable do-it-yourself ready mains, iconic objects made from, well, from history and of appropriation and remixing art are recreated as 3D models. Uh, people can then download and send uh, the digital model to 3D printers uh, via the internet to receive their own physical artwork through the posts. Uh, how did you come about to the? How did you come about with the idea uh, to create do it yourself ready mades? Well, it came to me in the middle of last year, and I thought, sort of, don't question it too much. It feels like a good idea. So Just it was instinctive. Do it. it was instinctive, and then I was reflecting on it over time, and I realised that it's a way of opening up what's become a very closed-off area of art history, which is, is the history of ready-made and nominated art objects and, and sort of canonical conceptual art objects, which, ironically enough, have become quite big business, both commercially and, and critically, and sort of turning objects that were originally just sort of household objects or, or objects you can make yourself, but which have become sort of trademark objects for different artists, back into these objects that you you can possess yourself or work with yourself. So it's a in kind a of strategy. reclaiming them as well. It is a reclaim, but there's there's also a way of, of making it even more conceptual because they're they're not real objects to start with. They're, they're virtual computer models. Well, it kind of takes hyper reality into another. Yes, yeah. I mean, this, this this is the thing about three D printing and about three li uh, free licensing and the way they interact. They sort of make objects which can be very very real, very concrete sort of things that you can hold in your hand back into more conceptual things that you can share with other people without losing your own material goods or that you can sort of change into other objects and print out in so i mean just to interrupt but yeah. going to, regarding 3d printers yes how do you see 3d printers changing art making for free culture yeah and free society, although I don't know why I put free society it's, as well. It's, yes, it's, it's a bit the tagline on my yeah. blog. I know, I know. Oh, did you put that it's, down? That's why I've obviously <laughs> yes. copied that word. But I mean, with, with, I mean 3D printing is interesting because anything, in theory, anything you print from a 3D printer is a fake. I don't mean that legally. I mean, I mean conceptually. Anything you print from a three D printer, anyone else can print. Yeah. So, so uh, there's no original art objects, okay. and so th that whole. Um, philosophy of art and history of art problem of what is an authentic artwork either destroys the possibility of anything that comes out of a 3D printer being art or is really shaken up by it. But the idea of artworks that anyone can own, that anyone can print, that anyone can model does have a history, in, particularly in postmodern art, but in modernist art. And the idea of democratising the production of art sort of using 3D printing, using 3D scanning, the ability to sort of take a copy of a 3D object 
and then print it but yourself. What's, what I like about it is that you made the art object itself open source. Yes, it's it's so freely people licensed. So can reuse yes. the code. Yes. As a free license, unlike famous artists and yes, what they usually yeah. do. Who, who, I mean, some of whom have taken these objects and are now trying to enforce copyrights on the generic objects. To, to name names, yes. And I'll, I'll move yeah. on from there before he uh, <laughs> pees on my head from a great height. But I, I'll talk about peeing. Uh, you've actually done a urinal. Uh, yes, Marcel, that was the first one in the yes. series, yes. And I've looked at some of the discussion on the website of your kind of reappropriated urinal 3D do-it-yourself piece, ready-made. Uh, so a piece sounds like <laughs> piece. Uh, uh, how have people responded to this? I've been really pleased with the response. I mean, lots of people got the art historical reference straight away, and they've really loved it. Um, other people, because it's been uploaded to a site which is just for 3D objects rather than 3D art, uh, have said, "Oh, you know." Not sure what I'd use that for, but it's great. Maybe I could use it as a cup, and if so, how do I waterproof it? Maybe I could print it out very small and put it in the restrooms of my model railway. And, you know, I, it's been really great seeing people's you responses. They're, they're all valid. You could use it as a little bowl for your gerbil to drink you out You could, of. yes, although I'm, I'm not sure that the animal rights people would be too happy with degrading your gerbil in that way. But yes. Well, I'll drink it out of your eye. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Uh, well... I think that's it. We haven't got any more time, so okay. we just go to. Well, thank you very much, thank Rob. I uh, wish we could have more time. We'll have you back on another time. So. Sure.